Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. This is kind of part two of what I started sharing this morning. If um, some of you were here, uh, some of you weren't, um, if you get the, the, the live streaming upload, I think it's a good message for us these days, especially with everything that we've been going through, and uh, I think you'll find life in it. I think it'll encourage you. Well, uh, I was a brand new dad fairly young Christian, a couple years old in the Lord at, the, at this time in the story. This is 1980, so I became born again in 1979. Anyone else around in 1980, Donna and Sean? Anyone else? It's just, oh, oh a couple, a couple, yeah. And um, we just had a baby, little Michael. And, and I felt led, I really felt like the Lord was telling me to move, to move my family and to move hours away from uh, where we had been living. We had just been given a, a, a free brand new house. It was a model home, so it had been completely painted and decorated as a model home, completely furnished. And the people who bought it just bought it outright, just said, don't change anything, leave the furniture, leave it, we'll just buy the whole thing as a model home, and then they put us in it, and so, uh, so, <laughs> uh, you can imagine breaking the news to Heather saying, I feel we're supposed to move, and to this little town, you know, uh, it was just a, a small country hamlet, it wasn't really even a village, it had a, had a, had a, um, had a light in the village, but it had a pull chain on it. It was so small. And um, just a little out-of-the-way place, and it had a little church. And the church had just bought this house next door to it that, that was just a soggy little house. It had a stream running through the basement, complete with bullfrogs and moss. And, and uh, next door was a goat farm, and so you smelt billy goat all day and every day. And... and um, I felt called to, to be part of that church and that, uh, that I was going to be involved in developing my call by being there. And it meant moving away from everything, her family, uh, all the friends we had and all of that, moving into this uh, little out-of-the-way place. And uh, uh, she wasn't sure about it. She was pretty anxious about it, in part because I really felt that I was supposed to do this with no visible means of support, that, that I was going to believe God for the finances and for our income. We, of course, we have a brand new baby. It'd be like you guys. It'd be like uh, any any number of you that are here, you know, and, and you love this baby. And But I, I really felt like um, we were to move and to do this. I'd fasted a long time uh, trying to hear from God. And and, uh, and so Heather... Heather agreed to do this, but with real reluctance. And so uh, the night that we arrived in this little soggy house uh, with the stream running through the basement, when I say soggy, it was on a creek, and so it was just an old house, and it just felt like a, it reminded me of a, 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 a cardboard box that was soggy. That's how I remember it. And... Um, um, we went to a meeting. There was a meeting that night downtown, 
and a prophet was coming through who had impacted my life in a significant way uh, about a year before. And he was traveling through, and so he had taken over this restaurant, and, and uh, that church and other people from the area were there. And, and, and this guy had an amazing prophetic gift, and he'd have you stand up, and he'd give you Bible verses that he had memorized, and he'd give you these Bible verses. And a very, very powerful uh, experience. And so um, we're there along with everybody else, and he's starting to ask people to stand up, and he begins giving them prophetic words. Well, he has us stand up in front of everybody. And, and so we, we stand up, and, and he said, um, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4.8. Uh, or flip, flip, Philippians, um, uh, let's see, somewhere in here, Philippians, yeah, should have looked it up, it's in Philippians 4, I just can't see it right now, oh, verse 19, so he starts with that, which was electric because it's the first day of, of our stepping out by faith. We just moved, and, and it was our first meeting. First, first thing the Lord says, I'll supply all of your needs. Well, that was, that was powerful for me. And, uh, and he continues to prophesy, and he, he comes to Philippians 4.8, and he says, um, and by the way, God's going to help you with fears and worries, anxieties, mental oppression. He's going to help you. He's going to uh, help you to overcome mental oppression. And I thought that was a good word for Heather because she was so anxious. And I was praying, believing, you know, so I'm thinking she gets a word that I get a word about finances. She gets a word about uh, having mental oppression and being afraid and all of that. And uh, so he, he ends up saying, this whole chapter's for you, you know, just mine it out. And, um, and that was it. You know, we sat down and, and feeling like God really confirmed this move and in front of all the people that in this church. And I was getting to know them and getting to know the pastor. I'd been going down to this church periodically. And so I, I was starting to get to know some of the people. And uh, the next day... Uh, I got a call from someone to cast a demon out of this, this young guy. And uh, so I went over to this house, and, and we ended up having this encounter with this demonized young man that was shocking, just absolutely shocking. It's just a, a crazy thing to hear this ancient being speaking, changing the face of the person, changing the voice, and speaking through him, cursing and swearing. And, and uh, uh, it, it was just a shock to see that reality. I had cast out some demons before that, but it wasn't anything like this at all. There was not this kind of violent uh, attack and react. I mean, you pick up a chair and come at you with a chair and that kind of stuff. But we saw the power of Jesus' name. We saw the power of being in Christ. And, and uh, it, was a, it was an amazing experience. Uh, Shocking, shocking. And um, we won. Uh, the, the young man got free. It took about three hours of, of, of trying to figure out how to do this. And you're shouting and everyone's shouting. And, he, and it's, 
writhing on the floor and laughing and, and swearing and doing all these things. It's just funny to hear a demon swear. Just that whole thing just shocked me that they would use our swear words and, and uh, makes me realize that most of that, you know, comes from them. And so, so anyway, it was a shock. The next day, the bottom fell out of my world. Uh, the shock of this encounter was one thing, but uh, this was an unclean spirit. This guy had slept with a prostitute, and that's how, that's how the demon got in. And, um, and so anything, a, a negative thought, a dirty thought, anything that came through my mind kind of made me uh, think, well, you know, maybe that, maybe that demon is in me or, or affected me in some way. And uh, my theology of, of, of deliverance and demons and all that was really shoddy. It was just, I'd read quite a few books on it, and I would pull together different, different sensational stories that people had read or written. And um, uh, I hadn't really studied, I'd read everything about Jesus, and the, of course, in the book of Acts, but I never really studied it. And so my, my theology was, was pretty shoddy. So there's things that I believe that I found out later were wrong. But all of a sudden, I had this torment that would, that would come out of nowhere constantly. Like every waking moment, there'd be ideas about this demon's going to come, and because we cast it out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come and attack our home. And of course, you know how much you love your child. You have this infant child, and, and that was just exploited, that, that something's going to happen. There's going to be retribution. They're going to come, and they're going to they're gonna attack our home, and uh, caused car accidents, and, and, and it just made me incredibly afraid. And I couldn't explain to anybody what was going through my head, and so the, the more I kept it inside, the more control it had, so that when I would lay down in my bed at night to, to go to sleep, uh, I, I would literally bounce on the bed, and uh, my body was, was trembling. And um, <clears throat> I had this idea that you know, because demons might attack your home, that I had to, I had to cover the walls with the blood of Jesus. And so I would, I couldn't go to sleep until I went from room to room and physically uh, moved my hand by faith over the walls, painting that wall with the blood of Jesus, so that the enemy couldn't come in to attack my family. The creepiest part of that is I had to go down in the basement. You know, I'd get in bed and I forget I hadn't done that basement. And here, this basement is like an old dungeon with moss on the walls and frogs in this in the stream that ran through the and I had to go down those stairs and turn on the light and because I love my little boy you know you would just do anything to protect your family and that was part of my ritual I had to do that around the, the, the creepy basement and uh, so this was going on and on and on and I couldn't explain to anybody what was happening. I didn't know quite what was happening. I was trying to fight it off. It seemed like the more I focused I was on fighting it, the more attention I need to give to it so that it's like every day, all day, all I was thinking about is fighting this thing and dealing with it and fears coming, seemingly coming out of nowhere and just would uh, send icicles down my back and my mind would uh, go into a tailspin and uh, I'd cry out to the Lord, and it felt like he was a million miles away. It felt like I, you know, I had such a close 
intimate relationship with him, and all of a sudden he's gone. It's like I don't feel his presence. I don't hear his voice. Uh, I knew theologically that he had to be there, but it didn't feel like it. And so I'm crying out to the Lord to bring, bring me back to himself, and I'm not sure what's happening to me. And um, it seems like my, my, my prayers aren't being answered. Nothing's happening. And uh, a guy was passing through our area who was like Canada's number one deliverance ministry. And he happened to be in our church for special meetings on a Saturday. And <laughs> I don't want to go. And that means I must have a demon because I don't want to go. And, and, but I don't want to go through the whole deliverance thing in front of everyone. And, and so that must be a spirit of pride. And, you know, the, you, I just got on this crazy cycle. Finally, I just humbled myself and just went to the meeting. And he was there. And he was a, he was a really unusual guy. You know, your whole ministry is cast out demons. So just, you know, it's very different. He's, he was different. Anyways, <laughs> so he would, uh, you know, if you, had, if you sneezed, if you coughed, if you blinked too much, uh, that was a demon coming out of you. That was the theology of the day. So you can imagine you don't want to move. You don't want to do anything because you don't want your friends to think that you're demonized. And the, and the theory isn't whether or not a Christian could have a, a demon. It's how many. And, and the whole thing is just the supposition, the working premise is you all have demons. You just don't know it. And so I go to this meeting and people are being prayed for and... <laughs> I don't want to be there, which makes me think, maybe it's a demon that doesn't want me to be here. And I just feel, I felt like fleeing. And well, that's got to be a demon, just, you know. And so I was in torment just being in the meeting. And um, so finally, I just, I just, again, the only thing I could do is humble myself. And so, so I put up my hand and went forward. And the guy, he's real tall, lean guy. And... Uh, uh, I don't remember any interview. I don't remember him saying very much other than he grabs you by the nape of the neck and, and uh, starts shouting at different demons. And, uh, and then he, he, he pulls you over, bends you down. And so uh, if you have any reaction <laughs> to that, that's a demon coming out. And um, so, uh, you know, he's about to do that. And and then he decides to do something. I, it was a little different. Everybody else, he made them cough and said, now cough, and now, okay, now you're free. And, and he didn't do that with me. I felt like, I felt like uh, something changed when I got up there. I felt like there was a little bit of compassion. And, and, I, and I wasn't sure how to read that. And, and he didn't make me go through all the stuff that I had humbled myself to go forward in front of everybody, admitting that I have a demon. And he didn't put me through the paces that he put everyone else through. And I just went and sat down. And that just really made me, I had this golf course behind our house where I could just walk and pray. And I just, I put miles on it, walking around that golf course. Lord, what is, what is going on? And what's happening with this whole thing? It was really one of the craziest times. The problem was now, today, I would sit down with one of you and explain what's going on and we'd talk about it and yeah, I'd get other outside. I didn't have that and didn't have that built into my life, didn't have that kind of relationship with anyone right then that I could just share that with. And, the th and it was embarrassing as well. The whole thing, the idea, the supposition or the suggestion maybe is a better word, 
that you have a demon. It's just, just awful, especially after you've seen them and you've seen how, how dirty they are, how filthy they are. It was just a, a crazy experience that went on day after day after day, all day, every day, no break. Constant bombardment of ideas and thoughts and, and uh, just weakened me. And, of course, no sense of the presence of the Lord. No, you go to pray, and it's like he's not there. Finally, I, I got to this place where I, I really cried out to the Lord. I remember being on my knees and behind this little place, a little bookshelf where I could get, out, get, the, get in there and, and just really cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, help me with this thing. I, I'm desperate. I need I need help. I need freedom. I don't know what's going on. Help me with this. And I heard this still small voice so faint in my heart that just very calmly, it was so different from me because I was panicking. And it was just so calm and said, I already spoke to you about this. And I, I'm, I'm completely shocked. It's how you know it's the Lord because it's not in line with your thinking. Like it wasn't a wasn't something I would have said. You know, I was shocked at the idea that you, I said, you, you spoke to me about this? You, you spoke to me about this? I can't believe that you did. Uh, when did you speak to me about this? And then the idea came that in that restaurant, that prophet said something about, something about mental oppression and depression and fear and that kind of stuff. I got up from that prayer thing and I ran and I got the cassette tape. I think I still have this cassette tape. And I went and got the cassette tape and played it, desperate for some hope, desperate for a way out, desperate for a key, desperate for a solution. And I'm listening so intently, writing it down, writing down everything that was being said. And, and when I looked at it, I didn't see any help. I didn't see any real solution. It says that Philippians 4.8 is the key to you overcoming mental oppression and depression and fears and anxieties. And, and he gave me Philippians 4.8. So I got my Bible out. I opened Philippians 4.8, just like we have it here in front of you. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. And, and that left me with nothing. And, and, and at the time, I'm a King James guy, so even less than nothing. Because, you know, because it doesn't, I, I don't even understand what King Jimmy is saying here. So, so, uh, so I now, I, now the Lord says, this is the key to my freedom. And I look at it, and I have no idea what it means. I have no idea how to apply this. But I do have some kind of sense in my heart, this is important. This, go deep in this, and, and it's going to bring about your freedom. So... <laughs> The first day that I'm to begin, you know, I wrote this out. <clears throat> I wrote it out on a little card so I can have it, have it and, and focus on it, meditate on it. And, and it says, uh, you know, think on the things that are lovely. And so so I remember thinking of this fawn laying in a meadow of daisies and, and <laughs> the fears were bombarding me. And I would think more about that deer and more about those daisies and zip up that meadow with a stream, and I'm trying to think on the things that are lovely. And I, I remember saying, God, if I have to think about this all day, every day, I'll really go crazy. <laughs> it can't be, this can't be what you mean. But I had no idea what it meant. And, and 
I just, again, just pled with the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't understand how this is going to give me freedom. And I desperately needed freedom. And again, just an idea, a still small voice, just a faint idea that passed through me that wasn't in line with my thinking. That's a real clue as to whether it's the Lord or not. The way we think, we think one thought leads to another thought leads to another thought. And so when something comes out from completely outside of that line of thinking, there's a good chance that's the Lord speaking. Plus, I'm, I'm super hyper uh, excited and, and battling with real fear. And this thing, this voice is just so, so calm. And uh, very calmly said, I want you to think on these things concerning people. Oh, that was a major clue. And so I, I took out my strong concordance and wrote out each word and wrote out trying to find a different definition and get different translations to find definitions, put it all on, on a card, you know, and had it in my pocket. And I would just try to almost, almost insert it in my mind. I just wanted that. What I really wanted was deliverance because what he's saying here requires discipline. <laughs> I didn't want the discipline. I wanted the deliverance. Deliverance would have been free and easy, and I, that thing would have been taken care of in one minute. I'd go on back with my life. But what the Lord's talking about is somehow changing how I think. And I remember going to church one of those first Sundays after I got this revelation. And all I could see is I looked over the congregation, and I didn't know them all that well, but I knew he had a problem with this. I knew this guy's theology in this area was all goofed up. I knew this couple didn't get along. I knew this, and I, I knew enough about them that when I saw them, all I could see is their faults, their failures, their fumblings, their shortcomings. And, and, I, and I never realized how constantly critical I was of everybody until I had something positive to compare it with. He's saying, think on the things that are true, the things that are noble, the things that are, are, are just, the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are of good report, anything that's praiseworthy. I, and that's all positive stuff. And when I look at sister so-and-so, and her kids are totally out of control, and she's, she's got real issues, all I can see is the negatives. All I can see is the stuff that she should do differently. And my mind would just go automatically. The, the default in my thinking was totally critical and totally negative. I didn't know that about me. If you had asked me beforehand, are you a critical, negative, cynical person? I'd say, no, I, I live on the sunny side of the street. You know, I'm a positive person. And I have people like me, and I like them. And I, that's what I would have said. But everybody that I saw, everybody that stood up to prophesy, my mind would go to negativity, constant negativity. And I didn't realize it until I had something to compare it with. So now every day, all day, every time I meet somebody, every time I interact with somebody, or any meeting I go to, my mind just automatically by default goes to negative, and I'd have to grab a thought pull it back, say, no, 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 you're not going there. You're not going to think about, no, you're not going to think about that. You're going to think about something positive about this person. And I would rack my brain to think of something positive about them, something praiseworthy, something, something that would be a, a good report about them. 
and I could hardly do it. It was such a labor to intentionally think something positive about these people, but I wanted freedom in the worst way. I'm, I'm bouncing on the bed at night. My mind's mush. It's just completely, I'm in torment all the time. My freedom hinges on thinking differently about other people, and I, I really worked at it. I mean, I'm working at it until I'm perspiring. I'm working at it. Everybody, everybody I meet, all my neighbors, all my family, anytime I was around anybody, I'd go into that default mode, and I'd have to say, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. You can't go there. And, and if you can imagine, if you can imagine wrestling every thought, how exhausting, how all-consuming that was. <laughs> and uh, the only thing that got me through that period is I wanted personal freedom. And I started to gain a little bit of freedom. It seemed like it all started to subside a little bit. The more I did it, a little more freedom I was gaining. And uh, I, f I, I went back to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm, I'm really working at this. But I know there's more. I know there's more in this verse. I'm just not seeing it. I don't get it. I don't know what, how else to apply this verse to get more freedom. What would you say to me? What, what, what could I do more? And the Lord says, I want you to start thinking on these things about you. About me? I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that was the Lord. And then, and then I, I got, you know, by comparison, started watching the thoughts about myself. I called myself names in that inner dialogue. If I did something wrong, I'd say, you stupid idiot. And I'd, I'd go off on myself. I was so critical, so negative about myself. And, and, and I, I was just so hard on myself. I actually, later on, I heard the Lord as I got working on it. He says, you're harder on yourself than I would ever be. And I never realized how legalistic I had become. I left off with grace, and everything was, I had to do everything perfect. And because I didn't, and I couldn't, man, was I hard on myself. Constantly. Speaking, thinking about my failures, my faults, and if I made a mistake, if I misstated something, misquoted something, I'd go on about myself thinking about what I had done for hours. And boy, was that hard to, to stop a thought and say, no, 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 you're not going down that road. If you go down, if you take me down that road, if I follow this thought, I know where it'll end up. I'll end up in some pit of discouragement and fear, and I'll have to pull myself out of that and get back to where I am right now. So, so no, you're not going to, I'm not going to let you think that. And it was, like, it was like I must not have had any governors on my thoughts. I must have just went from thought to thought with no self-control, no, no limits on how negative and how critical and how, how cynical I, I would be thinking maybe that I was being discerning, thinking that I was being, you know, a, a, a good, solid Christian. I remember, I remember almost in tears saying, Lord, I can't think of any good report about me. I, I can't think of any praiseworthy thing about me. And I was afraid of doing that because I was afraid of becoming proud. Like that was the worst thing that I could do, to ever become proud. 
But I remember so sincerely and almost in tears and just saying, God, I don't see it. I can't see, I can't see any good thing in me. <laughs> he wouldn't let me off the hook. It's like I had to. And finally I said, okay, all right, all right. I haven't killed anybody. And I felt like it before, but I, I haven't killed anybody. Because <laughs> I found out, you know, it says think on anything praiseworthy. is kind of like anything you'd get a reward for, an, an, a, a, an award for. I thought, well, I'd get an award. I haven't killed anybody yet. I'd, give it, I'd get an award. I, I don't lie like I used to. I, could, I was stumped. I, I can't think of any good thing about me. I can't see anything in me that's, that's of good report, anything. I can't think of anything that's lovely, anything noble, anything just. And, of course, I was confused because I have a fallen nature that's totally corrupt, that's lustful, that's a liar, uh, that is, is always very devious. And I thought that was me. And it was the first clue that I started seeing that there's a separation. I started seeing my heart, and I thought, well, my heart isn't that way. My heart actually loves God and loves the things of God, loves the word of God, loves the church, loves the people of God. But that old cri cynical, critical, negative selfish, self-centered nature, and I thought that was me. And that was the beginning of being able to kind of discern myself. And so I started working at it. I, I started cutting myself some slack. I started being gracious to myself and saying, I forgive you for that. I, I let that go. I remember, remember trying to... And I, and I started gaining on it enough, and I said, Lord, why is this important? And just as, just as quickly as that, this idea came to me so clearly that says, if you can't love yourself, you're going to have a harder time loving other people. Okay, well, the reason I will, and it was so hard for me at the time to say it, the reason I will love myself is because I want to be able to be more loving and gracious to other people, because that's the key to my freedom. And so I was working at being one of the most loving, gracious Christians you'd ever find in my thinking. And, and someone could just look at me and they would, they would just see a guy, you know, I, I'm a deacon, I'm standing at the back, I'm one of the security guys, you know, and uh, 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 they would just see this guy standing back. Inside, I was in turmoil. In, inside, there's a battle. Inside, Every thought counted. Either this thought was going to lead me to freedom or fear. And uh, I, it was a powerful, powerful time. And I started gaining on it. Months are going by. I'm into this thing. I'm probably into it six months, dealing with one thought at a time. It's like my whole work was my thoughts. And I was gaining and I came back to the Lord and said, Lord, I am gaining on this. And uh, my heart tells me there's more in this verse for me, but I don't see it. I just honestly don't get it. There's, there's more freedom, but I don't see it. What do you want me to see? And just as, just as 
calmly as someone sitting across from the table from me. He said, I want you to begin thinking on this list of things about me, about him. Oh, I would never have thought of that. And I, I was shocked. And it was, the, it was in the next few weeks as I took this list and started thinking, I realized I didn't like God. I didn't like God. I loved Jesus, but I really didn't think very highly of God. I saw him as a, a cranky old man. I saw him as kind of cheap, always wanting our money and never never giving us what we need in, in good time. And, and I, I, had, I had a wrong image of him. I saw him as, as quick to become angry and just brush you off your lap, off his lap for the, the least little infringement. The legalism that I had been sipping on I end up imposing that on him, thinking he was that way. I was judgmental, and I started thinking that he's judgmental, that he's always finding fault with every little thing I did. I, I thought that was his spirit. And I began, to, I began to try to think on this list of things about God. And I wasn't expecting this, but... I was reading the Bible an awful lot during those days. I wasn't working, so I was, that's what I was doing. My work was reading the Bible, making notes. All of a sudden, I started seeing things I'd never seen before. I started seeing the way he related to David, and I started seeing the, uh, the mercy of God. The, the, even like where the Lord would say, I've given you these commandments for your good. I remember thinking, oh, I thought he was just laying heavies on people you know, these, all these burdens, but it wasn't for burden's sake. It wasn't just to complicate our lives. He, he was doing it for our good, and my eyes were open to that, and, and I could start reading the Old Testament in a different way and started seeing the mercy of God. It was a, a long time coming, but almost drop by drop, uh, he began to distill within my heart the Father heart of God. And, and I started calling him Father. And I, I, I saw how much Jesus loved him and how much Jesus re related to him. And, and Jesus saw him differently than I saw him. And, and, and then he would turn that whole thing around and, and Jesus would say, I, I'm the I am that led the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt. And I, and I didn't like I am, but it's Jesus. And how am I, you know, how to reconcile this whole thing. And so for a while... It just seemed like every time I opened the Bible, the grime of, of, that was on the lens of my heart that was obscuring a pure vision of God was being wiped away. It was like all of a sudden I could start seeing him differently and start seeing him, and I started loving him. I started talking to him. I never talked to him. I'd always, I'd always talk to Jesus. It was, he was my go-to. I'd spend all my time on my knees, and it would be Jesus this and Jesus that. And I would just kind of, I don't know what to do with God. I remember telling him that. I remember finding the courage and saying, you know, I've never liked you. I, I've never understood you. I didn't know your heart. And I, and I could just talk to him about that freely. And I said, I want to. Show me. Show me how to do this. And so... So I started gaining some freedom, and I started walking in love in my thoughts. 
I'd look at someone and I'd, I'd, be, I'd look for a way to think something gracious about them. And a anybody I met, you know, well, the first thing I would just try to be gracious in my thoughts toward them. And I remember uh, I was put in charge of a ladies' Bible study. And uh, <coughs> they were having a meeting one, you know, Wednesday morning or whatever it was in the basement of the church next door. And so I just went over because I was in charge just to see how, who was attending, how it was going. And so I went down. I'm the only man in the place. And so I went down and I just sat on this high stool. And this woman looked at me and she looked at me for the longest time and, and just stared at me. And I think, I'm thinking, wow, I'm the only guy. Uh, I shouldn't be here. This is a ladies' meeting. Like, she's probably thinking, what's that guy doing in our meeting, you know? And <laughs> so I would kind of thinking thoughts for her, and she'd come up to me. She was a very prophetic woman, probably the most godly woman in the group. And she'd come up to me, and she said, can I talk to you about something? And I thought, I'm, I'm in for it. You know, she's going to tell me I have no business being in this meeting. And... Um, she said, you come in, and, and, and you came down the, the doorway, down the, down the hall, and you, you came in, and you sat down. And she said, when I, when I watched you walk in, it was Jesus walking in. And it was Jesus who sat down on the chair. Well, the reason I think she perceived that is I was, I was starting to come into layers of love and going to places in love I'd never been to before. I started becoming a gracious, loving Christian, and I cared about them, and I wanted to see. And, and, and so she's saying, I'm perceiving Jesus in you at a higher level, you know, that, that I'd never seen before. And, and that was a shock, and it was a reproof as well, because I had gone to a negative on thinking that she was being, you know, unwelcoming my being there. Here she is, she's seeing Jesus in me. I thought, Lord, that's what I want. I want my thoughts. I want my, I want my whole being to be like you. And so I, I, I went back to the Lord, and I'm tracking now by this time probably 12, 10, 10 months into this thing. And I went back to the Lord again. I said, I know there's something else in here for, for me that you want to say to me. I just I can't see it. I just don't understand it. What is it that you would say to me about this verse? And the Lord just so sweetly just said, you know, I would never ask you to do something that I myself don't do. I want you to realize from now on that this is my list of things that I think about you. Every time I see you, I see the things that are lovely. I see the things that are praiseworthy. I see the things that are virtuous. I see the things that are just, the things that are true, the things that are honorable. Well, you could have picked me up with a spatula. I mean, it was just, it melted me. I would never known that he thought that way about me. And, of course, you start to see the grace of God. I didn't have any grace theology. I didn't have any father heart theology. I didn't have any, any uh, freedom from the legalism that I had slipped into. And all of a sudden, well, all of a sudden, 10 months of being peeled, all of a sudden I had a transformation of heart, mind, motive, 
my thoughts for discipline, my thoughts for uniform, my thoughts weren't just strained, my thoughts weren't running over me, my thoughts weren't in control of my life, that my spirit was now in control. I found myself to be a loving, gracious Christian who get cut people slack. And all of a sudden, I started feeling beloved of, of the Father in a way that I'd never known before. And it started changing how I prophesied, and it started changing how I read the Bible, and it started changing how I pr approached problems and people, dealing with people. This is the list that he thinks upon me. And the word think here uh, says think on these things. Uh, King James says think on these things. This is New King James. It says meditate on these things. And I remember going to him and I said, Lord, I, I don't quite understand this. How is it that you can see all the junk in me? All the, <laughs> excuse me, all the things I do wrong and love me and be positive and, and think positively. How, how is that possible? How do you, how do you do it? He said, he said, I see it. I just don't meditate on it. See, it's like we were talking about this morning. You can't help but see faults and failures and things that aren't right, but to, to dwell on it. To, and, and, and the word think here is meditate. It's a better, better translation. But the word think is to, in, to enumerate. It's, it's almost an, it's like an accounting word that you're keeping track of, you're listing. It's not like God says, oh, there he did it. He did that again. Oh, he thought that. He thought, he said that. He, that thought went through his mind. And he's just writing furiously every little fault and every little failure. He says, I just don't do that. I see it. I'm just not meditating on it. I'm not keeping a list of stuff. Isn't that good news? we did this in our marriages, marriages would get sweeter. Did this among our friends and family. You know, I couldn't go into a church without seeing all the cobwebs and seeing all the things that needed done and, and, and you know, couldn't really enjoy the experience. I, I, I needed my mind to renew just to be able to just, I'm just glad this church exists. I'm just glad this church is in this barren land. I'm just glad it's here. I'm glad it's, it exists, you know. Began changing my thinking. In the process, he took me through and, and challenged my beliefs about deliverance. The, the very cool way he did that, uh, I, I had a lot of fears around demons and how, and I still had to cast them out. And so, you know, you fall off the horse, the best way to recover is to get right back in the saddle again. And so I'm out there casting out more demons again. And it's like the last thing I want to do. And how do I do, how do I, how do I deal with this? And the Lord just said very, very, very simply, he said, uh, write out everything you believe about deliverance, warfare, demons. And I didn't think he meant write it out longhand. I just, I got some paper right away and I write it out. I wrote it out, bullet point form, everything I believed. You know, I used to go down in my basement. I would wipe my walls with the blood of Jesus. I couldn't do that. Couldn't sleep. That was irresponsible not to do that. And I'd, so I wrote that down. And I had heard stories about people 
leave the blood around the property, then they go out the next morning and they find a rabid uh, carcass of a, a, a rabid fox on the boundary line of the property. You know, I heard those stories. And, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, I thought that was valid and that, that proved my, my, my practice. So I wrote that down. And then the Lord just said, find two or three verses in the New Testament to support everything you just wrote down. I thought that'd be easy. And so I went to work on this. All of us just is all in one afternoon. Very easy study. And, and so I just went to work at it. And I, couldn't find, I couldn't find any verse where it says, before you get in the chariot, plead the blood on that chariot. Uh, plead the blood on the doorpost of your heart, of your, of your house before you go to sleep at night. I mean, especially I had done a major study in First Thessalonians, and it looks like chapter 5, Paul's writing to brand new baby Christians. He, he, he just led to the Lord and had to leave. He had to flee. And, and chapter 5 looks like he's writing bullet point form, the most important stuff. Oh, yeah, by the way, do this. Oh, yeah, the, you're going to need this. Do this, do this. That's, what it, that's how I read it. That's what it looks like. He doesn't mention anything about the blood of Jesus. That puzzled me. Wow, if that's such an important, wouldn't, I mean, you're living among demonized idol worshipers. You're a virginal, pure church in the middle of this filthy idol worship land. Wouldn't you say, by the way, there's power in pleading the blood on your children before they go to school? Or, and he doesn't mention it. In fact, it's not mentioned anywhere. And for the first time, I could just let go of stuff. And someone else can believe it, and I could not, I could get to a place where I wasn't even critical if they believed it. And I heard it taught, I heard, I've heard lots of people teach it. And I could just not be critical of that, but just say, I'm just glad I don't have to go down, I don't have to do that anymore. That's not where my security lies. That's not where my freedom lies. And I could just go through it, and it turned out a lot of the stuff on my list wasn't in the Bible. I could just discard it, set it aside. What was in the Bible and what I could substantiate from going through, I, I cut apart the Bible, I cut it apart every place where Jesus cast out demons, and I just went through looking for everything he did and everything he said, and that's what I'm going to stay with because it's Jesus. And it became so light and so simple and so so powerful because it was... It was the, couldn't be more simpler. If it wasn't in there, I didn't need it. And it just set me free. So I went through a 13. This whole thing lasted 13 months. I remember the day I, I went to work. I got a job. And it was the first day on the job. And, and all of a sudden, uh, that wave of fear from some idea started to encroach upon my day at the office the first day. And I remember just saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there at all. And I just left. And I had no more days, no more days of having to battle every thought. I was able to, I got my life back. But I didn't just get my life back and my freedom back. I got a revelation of the Father, heart of God. I got a revelation of God's grace. I got a revelation upon revelation upon revelation. I, I mined that dark cave out and became rich 
with Revelation. It became almost everything that I taught for the next few years all come out of that dark season. I found myself, I, I, I had this idea, you're going to praise God someday for what you're going through. Why don't you begin doing that now? And I remember thinking, that's radical. Begin thanking him now while I'm still hurting. But you know, he enriched my life so much. He used one verse with discipline. Here he had to apply it with revelation that come out of a personal relationship with him as the pastor, the bishop of my soul. And then he began using me to help set other people free. This whole thing about meditation that we're talking about is gold if we'll do it. It's not easy. But it'll just spare us so much stress and anxiety, worry, fear, depression, mental oppression, mental pressure. Amen? Is this helpful tonight? Let's stand together. I said the mor this morning that as much as your spouse loves you, they can't reach in your head and, and change your thoughts. Only you can do that. As much as your pastor loves you, as much as your best friend would be there for you and do anything for you, what they can't do is manage your thoughts and change your thoughts. God himself won't reach in and change your thoughts. He won't grab a hold of you and say, you can't think that way, you have to think this way. He can't force it upon us. He can't impose it. He can lead us to a degree, but he can't make you do anything. The only person who could do that is you. Father, this is a, a time in America where there's so much fear and so much anxiety and so much negativity. Thank you that your word never changes, that it's just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Just as applicable to the man who wrote it from a prison cell as it is to us standing in this place, Penyan, 2,000 years later. Thank you that your word is timeless, matchless, wonderful. Father, use it to set us free. Use it to set us free, and we will gladly share it with others to set them free. We love your word. We love your ways. We love the way you walk with us. Thank you for this reminder tonight. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I wish I could stand here in front of you and said, and since then I've had no more problems. I'm still in a battle. I can still get negative, still go down the wrong road, and then I have to dig myself out of that and come back. And, but I have something to come back to.